This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. For the third straight week, we're going to have a second weekly show. Uh, I've done this the last two Sundays. Uh, Today's episode is going to be a mailbag going through a bunch of random Jets-related and non-Jets-related topics. You all tweeted through this morning when I was searching for a topic to discuss on today's show. Uh, We're going to continue to have this weekly episode and then another episode on Thursday or Friday, uh, depending on the week, with... Dalbin and Greg and Dan talking on other different topics, uh, mostly NFL draft-centric as we get a little closer uh, on this feed, which of course is always available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play uh, with more written analysis at turnonthejets.com. Please make sure to like, rate, review us on iTunes, and give everyone uh, a follow on Twitter as always. If you have not yet, please subscribe to our Badlands premium ad-free podcast. Uh, We currently have 14 episodes uh, on the feed, including an episode with New York Jets All-Pro linebacker C.J. Mosley that we dropped last week. That show is hosted by Connor Rogers and myself, and for a one-time $9.99 payment, you get our 10-part audio docu-series in the past 10 years of the New York Jets. You get weekly shows with our analysis and reaction to free agency in the NFL draft and great interviews with people like C.J., Uh, And you're also going to get some written content from Connor, particularly around the NFL draft, with him recently dropping his seven-round New York Jets mock, which we're going to discuss on this week's episode, along with a few other people who break down the draft for a living. So now is definitely the time to uh, get in on that subscription if you haven't yet. The original 10 episodes are still very relevant and still very evergreen, and it was a bit of an historical podcast, so the stuff we talk about still holds. And then again, we've been doing weekly episodes breaking down all of the Jets' recent transactions, and this month will, of course, be heavily focused on what they are doing uh, with the NFL draft and reaction to what does happen with the NFL draft. So with that long preamble done, uh, let's jump into some of your questions that are coming through Uh, From this morning, first one from one of our fellow writers at Fuego Jets takes thoughts on the various trade up down scenarios that have been floated. There seems to be some rumblings about the Jets in Atlanta poking around each other because of some relationships in the front office with Atlanta trading up and the Jets moving back. I do think the Jets will absolutely consider moving back if the top four tackles are gone or they can't find a pragmatic way to move up one or two spots to get one of those four guys, which I think is their top priority. So I actually would think it might be a little more likely for them to be proactive and aggressive to go up a couple spots to get one of those four. Uh, And if they can't pull that off and all four are gone on 11, yeah, I could see them looking to go down a few spots and maybe take one of the second tier guys, uh, whether that's Austin Jackson or Josh Jones, or maybe looking at a different position. I think that would be a disappointing night for the Jets. I think they're hoping they could sit pat at 11 and get one of their guys and not have to give up further capital uh, or move back and have to settle for one of the second tier guys or a different position. But look, I think this is an entirely new front office. And with the way that they played this offseason so far, uh, it seems as if they're really viewing this as a, a rebuilding type season. 
So I think all moves are on the table from a draft perspective, and that includes being aggressive to go get someone you think can be a cornerstone piece and not worrying as much about uh, the draft capital this year uh, because you're going to circle back with more next year or moving back and compiling more swings uh, to take at different positions because you don't want to force it uh, if your guy isn't there. Next question from Michael Sen. Special teams, possible next year's kicker, punter, uh, and underrated special team performers from this past year. So Brent Boyer, after kind of an initial shaky start with the Jets, has really been terrific the past two years. He's had, you know, like a top three special teams unit, despite uh, a rotating cast at all the primary special teams positions, which is uh, incredibly impressive. I mean, when you think about, you know, the key players in the Jets special team unit from two years ago, it was, you know, it was Andre Roberts, it was Josh Myers, who were both all pros, um, you had uh, a couple different, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who blocked a couple punts. Uh, you had different other guys playing big roles. None of those guys were a part of it last year, but you still had uh, a productive season from Braxton Berrios and Vincent Smith. Uh, Sam Ficken ended up being okay down the stretch, not great. Uh, and the Jets special teams unit, I think, scored two or three touchdowns last year on, on block, block kicks and other turnovers that they forced. So they netted out really high in DVOA again. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're in a rush to add a kicker right now. I think that's something that might come after the draft, and they could audition a few different veterans. It does seem like they're going to be looking for a new punter as well, which is mildly surprising. Uh, as it stands now, you know, no reason to expect that Berrios and Smith won't be the primary returners again, but let's see what happens in the NFL draft. I think, you know, special teams is probably the least of the Jets' concerns right now, and, you know, they've been great on special teams the past two years, but they've still stunk overall. So I think, you know, I think the priority right now is really fixing the offense above everything. Um, next question from at Sam Adams, 1433. I love to delve deeper into second and third round targets. I'm just as, if not more excited for day two this year, especially with the Giants pick. Understandable thing for Jet fans to be pumped about. This is a really deep class at a couple positions of need for the Jets, particularly wide receiver. And they have three picks on day two, thanks to that beautiful Leonard Williams trade. So, uh, this is something we're going to spend a lot of time breaking down the next three weeks, particularly on the Badlands feed with Connor and some of the other draft guys that uh, we have relationships with. Because, you know, I, I before we really dive deep into these guys, I want to make sure that we're talking to the people who have really spent a lot of time covering them. The reality is, is the draft is uh, a large undertaking. And, you, you know, you're looking at somewhere between 300 and 500 ish players who could ultimately end up being drafted. And, you know, I, I want to do more than give you know, some cursory analysis on some of these second day names, particularly at receiver that we're excited about, which could be anywhere, you know, from Pittman to Rhaegar to uh, a few of the different guys that Jet fans are excited about. I want to dive a little deeper on uh, who really the three to five receivers that Jet fans should be circling for day two, along with other guys at cornerback and edge rusher, which I think could be day two uh, priorities for the team as well. So we'll do a lot more of that, particularly on the Badlands feed, but also on this feed as well as we get a little closer to draft night. Um, next take, next take, next question, uh, from the jet ranger Two: what have been the top five worst off season takes so far? I, I it's, t- <laughs> it's tough to come up with a, a ranking of them. I always find it frustrating whenever, not just myself, but anyone who covers the team offers some type of opinion or analysis that is not a a hundred percent home run glowing endorsement for everything the team does is met with a, just let Joe Douglas do his job. Uh, Why are you questioning this guy? We got to trust him what he does. And I'm not saying you can't have confidence in your GM, uh, but 
This is his first offseason as a GM, and I'm confident in him too, but it doesn't mean we can't uh, question the overall talent on the team right now or say things like George Fant might not be ready to be a 16-game starter or Greg Van Routen might just be okay and has some durability questions at guard. Uh, You could say that without uh, having to get yelled at for expressing a a smidgen of doubt in some of uh, the transactions. I think the Jets, even with a new GM, have not earned the benefit of doubt on anything in a really long time. So it's more logical to be uh, questioning of some of the decision-making that they're doing. And they're still, you know, a pretty weirdly structured organization right now because while I am excited about Joe Douglas, I still have no confidence in their head coach or their coaching staff on the offensive side of the football. And they have a weird ownership situation right now uh, with an interim owner uh, and Chris Johnson and rumors of Woody Johnson maybe maybe coming back. Uh, we don't know. So it's it's still kind of a weird overall organizational structure. And just from a sheer talent standpoint, uh, the Jets still have a lot of different work to do. Um, next question from the senatorial. What are different ways the Jets season could end? Reasonable. Um, I mean, there's a few different ways. And I think it's kind of a similar path of trajectory that there is for a lot of NFL teams who are sort of in the middle uh, right now, not kind of openly bot- looking to bottom out or tank. Uh, maybe like a team like the Jaguars or not, you know, a top tier contender, which would be like your Chiefs or 49ers or uh, some of the other teams who got pretty far last year. I think, look, Sam Darnold could take a massive leap and mitigate any concerns uh, about Adam Gase. The Jets could get good injury breaks and have key people stay healthy and have their defense basically be what it was last year, if not a touch better, and their offense make a massive leap. And they take advantage of a weaker than usual AFC East because Miami's growth is slower than expected. Buffalo regresses to the mean a little bit, and New England takes a step back without Tom Brady. And you win 10 games and find yourself in uh, the playoffs. It's not out of the question to happen, particularly if Sam Darnold takes a big leap. More likely, uh, the Jets are a team that is better in many ways than they were last year. Uh, but wins the same amount or actually one or two games less than they did last year because their schedule is substantially harder. And in some ways, their defense regresses to the mean with harder opponents. So they don't get the benefit of playing Buffalo's backups or or playing a tanking Miami team twice or playing Duck Hodges, who then gets hurt in the game and has to come back in. Uh, Instead, they have to deal with Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson uh, and fly to L.A. twice when they had really easy travel last year, and that takes a toll. So even though many weeks you feel like they're they're better and Darnold looks better and more consistent, they're still a 6-10 or 7-9 team. Um, And then I think the other one would just be kind of bottoming out, which would be if they got really bad injury luck, Darnold missed any extended period of time. Adam Gase really goes off the rails and the, the schedule really pummels them and uh, they're back at the you know four to five win range. Uh, I don't necessarily think they're headed in that direction because I have you know confidence in a healthy Darnold, uh, but the middle path is probably you know the most likely. I, I'd say they're a six or seven win team most likely right now. Um, next question um, from Danny Bags. Do you wish there was a follow-up to the Sopranos episode Pine Barrens? I sure do. I actually had the opportunity uh, with my cousin uh, to go see Pine Barrens in a movie theater in the city like a a year or two years ago. They were doing some event hosted by uh, Alan Seppelwall, who was, I think, promoting one of his new books in The Sopranos. And uh, David Chase was there and Steve Buscemi, who wrote that episode, and they basically talked through it after. Very cool experience. Um, I I think with the way The Sopranos was structured, 
um, and how they went about storytelling. It ultimately isn't surprising that there wasn't a follow-up to that episode. I think what was interesting, they were, and this has been you know shared in a few places, that originally there was going to be something in the final season that where they would meet back up with the Russians and in the background you would see the guy who they shot at basically just like mopping up in the background as like a janitor who had like some type of brain damage and really couldn't talk anymore. Uh, so he would like live through it, but just kind of like hang out in the background. They wouldn't even say anything about it. You just sort of see it in the background, which would again be very Sopranos-esque. I think it got cut, got cut ultimately and wasn't used, but uh, they were definitely always kind of kicking around, bringing some type of closure to that. But I think it's still one of the three to four best episodes of the entire series. And I know it's number one for most people, but it's definitely in the discussion. Um, next question from Just a Jersey Boy. Is Woody Johnson putting the clamps on the money so next year he can come back riding the white horse and save the Jets with a new head coach and a ton of free agent additions? It's not a crazy uh, theory. I think I don't think it's that straightforward. I don't think anything is you know that that black and white with these situations. There have been some different rumblings about the Jets being you know quote unquote cash strapped or being you know extra conservative this year. That may just play in with how they you know view their current roster and viewing current coaching staff and what. Uh, the free agent market was out there. I, I don't know if the Jets have decided yet, or Woody Johnson's decided yet, if and when he's coming back. I think the election's going to play into that in some ways because he's an ambassador. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of variables in the world right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that in some ways could make some sense the way you described it. Is that the thinking overall right now with one Jets drive? No, probably not. I think they're, you know, hoping that. Uh, Donald's going to take a big leap, and then next year they're going to spend a lot more money to put more people around him. I don't know. It's hard to say. They have a wild card as a head coach, and they have a wild card as an owner right now. So I don't think there's anything that uh, strategic in place overall, unfortunately. Um, next question from Rational Jets fan. How would Sam and Bell look in an Eric Bieniemy offense? Uh, he's the Chiefs' current offensive coordinator and a guy who probably should be a head coach by now and probably definitely will be after this year. I think they'd look better than they look in an Adam Gase offense, I could tell you that. I mean, I don't know if there's really any chance Le'Veon Bell is here after this year. I guess it depends, you know, how he performs and how the rest of the Jets roster develops and if they want to keep paying that money. It's also going to depend how their new head coach, if they have one, evaluates him. But yeah, it'd be fun to watch those guys in that type of offense uh, that really caters to their strengths, which I don't think the Jets did at all last year, unfortunately. Uh Next question from Matthew R. Trent Williams. And if it's BS, what's an actual realistic possibility at this point? I don't think the Jets are ultimately going to trade for Trent Williams. I also don't think they're ultimately going to pay Jadavion Clowney. Neither move really vibes up with the rest of their offseason to make that type of aggressive big spend move for a veteran. Uh, Crazier things have happened. I just wouldn't expect either of those two guys to end up on the team. I think at tackle... They're going to draft a guy at 11, and they're going to let that guy, Chuma, Doga, and George Fant battle it out uh, for playing time, and they're going to look to keep building on it uh, next year. I think it's going to be a multi-year build a tackle and a pass rusher. They very well may just say with Greg Williams' defense, we're going to generate our pass rush with our interior defensive lineman with Quentin Williams and with Jamal Adams blitzing a ton off the edge, and we're not going to invest big in an edge rusher. So even seeing them put out you know, $16, 17000000 million on a one-year deal for Clowney, uh, doesn't seem likely right now. It just doesn't vibe up with the rest of their spending, all these sort of one-year, $5 million contracts. I can't see them doing this big spend for Clowney at the moment. 
Uh, next question from Matthew Loans: How to properly cook a steak? You know, I can't. I can't talk through the best cooking instructions right now. I can say I like my steak medium rare. I can say I'm hoping to have access to a grill sooner rather than later and to get the opportunity to uh, do some cooking if the weather warms up a little bit in a socially distant, safe way, of course. Uh, but I'm always down to hear any uh, re recipes or seasoning if anyone has suggestions. Got more time on my hand than usual, so happy to be a little more experimental with my, uh, with my cooking. Next question from do underscore not pass go. Do not pass go. How much does a healthy Mosley improve the Jets defense? Badlands guest CJ Mosley. Look, CJ Mosley wa watched his game against Buffalo last year. He described it on the show as the most in control he ever felt on a football field. And I don't know if that's an hyperbole. If you look at he had an interception, he had a fumble recovery. He was all over the field making tackles and in pass coverage. Uh, you know, he's arguably the best inside linebacker in the NFL when healthy. Now, he's a little older now. He just missed a full year. Is he going to hit the ground running being in his prime? I don't know. We're going to see. But if he is approximately what he's always been, he's going to be a massive, massive, massive upgrade over what the Jets had at inside linebacker last year and unquestionably make their unit a lot better. Um, next question from Mr. NY Jets fan. Does Sam's mobility make it so Joe Douglas feels comfortable that the current tackle situation uh, is okay uh, and that he'd rather go get a difference maker at 11 instead of a tackle? So basically, does Sam's mobility give the Jets a little more flexibility to have, I don't know, worse or less proven tackles? I don't necessarily think that's the case because we haven't seen uh, the Jets' offensive coaching staff utilize Sam's mobility uh, in the best way to date or move the pocket enough to help cover up the tackles. They also still have some questions at tight end in terms of blocking. Um, I just don't see the Jets going anywhere but offensive tackle at 11 uh, unless something strange happens. And I, I think they're going to want to keep adding talent there. Even with Darnold's mobility, you, you just you can't have enough talented offensive linemen, particularly when you're building on one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL really over the past two years, not just over last year. Um Next question from Chef Aji. How long is the leash on Gase? Is there a non-spoken mandate? How long should his leash be? I, If the Jets win seven or less games this year, I would move on from Adam Gase. I would have moved on from him after this season, but that's just me. Uh, I don't think there's an unspoken mandate. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Jets could win seven or eight games this year be better on offense and bring Gase back for 2022. I think that would be a mistake, uh, but I could definitely see it happening. I think, um, you know, it's probably 50-50 with these here in 2022, or I'm sorry, 2021. I don't know, you know, how bad it would have to get for them to fire him after this year. Uh, it was unusual how they gave him that job security all the way through this season uh, in the middle of last year. Uh, but I would assume that the leash on him is longer than Jet fans would like it to be, most Jet fans. And, you know, if you ask me today, will he be the coach in 2021? Is that more likely than him not being the coach? I would say yes. And I wouldn't say that because I think the Jets are going to win 10 games next year. I think they're going to win, like I said, six, seven, maybe eight games. But I think the Jets are going to talk themselves into giving him one more run. Uh, and if he misses the playoffs this year, it would mean that he has been a head coach in the AFCs for five straight years and missed the playoffs in the last four of them if he misses the playoffs this year. In my mind, at that point, you, you cut your losses and try to get better. But I don't know if the Jets ultimately will do that. So we'll have to see how that uh, plays out. Give one more refresh here and see if any more questions trickled in. We're just about at the 20-minute uh, mark.
Let's see here. Next question from Cole Perry. What did the Jets do to address edge rusher? Just JD pick up Clowney, Curry, or Najoko, or someone in the draft? I think Vinny Curry actually is someone they could still add. Uh, just give him a little more flexibility off the edge. He'll also be really cheap. You know, that's a one-year, three to four million dollar contract, maybe. Uh, if they're going to sign him, as I said before, I don't think Clowney's going to happen. I definitely don't think they're going to swing a trade with Jacksonville at this point. Uh, I could see them signing Curry and then taking a day two swing on an edge rusher uh, to go with Jenkins and Basham. Again, they're going to try to generate their pass rush from their defensive line and from using Jamal Adams as a blitzer uh, more so than a traditional sort of uh, you know edge rusher uh, would overall. So look, uh, I appreciate all the questions for this uh, Sunday episode. Um, we'll be back probably Thursday uh, with a new one on this feed that will be pretty draft-centric. We're probably going to work through our version of some different mocks and some prospect analysis of guys we think have a higher uh, than rest chance of being taken by the Jets. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. Uh, Appreciate all the interaction on Twitter, and we'll be back later this week.